Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Good morning, everyone. I came across a story in a book that I was reading called Take Back Your Life, and it shared the story that I, I'm just going to give you a summary of in, as we begin here. In 2011, the FBI finally caught the guy that they had been looking for for 16 years. It was the most extensive manhunt in the Bureau's history. 16 years is a long time for someone to be on the run. Wouldn't you agree? But that's how long James Whitey Bulger, the mob boss from Boston, had eluded them. He spent most of that 16 years as the number two most wanted guy on the FBI's top 10 wanted list. You want to know who number one was? Osama bin Laden. That's how bad they wanted him, okay? And when they did finally catch him, he wasn't hiding in a cave in some foreign country somewhere. He was, as 60 Minutes reported, hiding in plain sight, living in an apartment just three blocks from the beach, Santa Monica, Southern California. When 60 Minutes interviewed the apartment manager and the neighbors, They had no idea, none of them had any idea of who their neighbor was, who James Bulger was. They thought that him and his girlfriend were just a nice retired couple living on a tight pension. But they had no idea that he had socked away $800,000 inside the walls of his apartment They had no idea that he had an arsenal of semi-automatic and automatic weapons as well as hand grenades in that apartment. They had no idea he was wanted in connection with 19 murders. These people had no idea because they saw one thing but could not see what was really there. This is true of us as well. Looks can be deceiving. And like what was said last week, there is more going on around us than what our natural eye can see. So it would be good for us to heed the words of, for example, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal the things we see now with our eyes they're going to be gone but the things that we cannot see are the things that will last forever and so Paul is saying there is a reality that is beyond what we see and think is reality (laughs) If we were to be honest with ourselves, we walk around much of the time oblivious to what is really going on around us. There is a whole spiritual realm with very serious things 
happening and taking place. There is an actual all-out war happening all around us. And the battleground church isn't only in the heavenlies as we read in Scripture. It is also in our minds and it is in our hearts. There's an enemy out for our lives. But most of the time, we don't see it because most of the time, we can't see past ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. And this is what is needed today. This is what believers need to hear. It's what we need to do. We must get our eyes off of us and on to another. Amen. Through the eyes of faith, seen with a heavenly perspective instead of our usual worldly one. And when we do, it will change everything. I think of it, it's like you'll have night vision goggles on. (laughs) You're going to be able to see in the dark. You'll be able to see what is coming at you and what is coming against you, spiritually speaking. But even better than that, you're going to be able to see the one who is working for you and fighting for you in a much clearer, clearer way. In today's passage, which we are going to be in John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Where we see Jesus inviting some guys. These are his first four recruits, if you will, into a group that we know as the disciples of Jesus. The invitation Jesus offers them continues to this day, right? He continues to offer it to us as well. It's really, really very simple. And these are the words that we're going to see in this passage that we will be looking at, beginning at verse 35. The invitation is simple. It is this. Come and you will see. Don't you love that? I think that those are amazing, amazing words. Come and you will see. Now, just a quick intro into the Gospel of John before we launch into this. If you didn't know, John was actually the last of the four Gospels written, somewhere around A.D. 85. It is, it is after the destruction of Jerusalem, which occurred in A.D. 70. And it is before John got exiled onto the island of Patmos, where we know he wrote the book of Revelation. Traditionally, Authorship has been given to the Apostle John. That's why it bears his name. The Gospel of John is actually different in many aspects from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because you see, in John, there is no story of Jesus' birth. There's nothing here about his baptism. Though he refers to Jesus as the son of Joseph in chapter 6, verse 42, and he quotes John the Baptist as saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in chapter 1, verse 29. There are no parables in John, but there are eight recorded miracles, and there are seven I am statements that are made in this gospel. I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, so on and so forth. Basically, the whole second half of John's gospel 
is about the last six days of Jesus' life here on earth. From chapter 12, verse 1, on through the end of chapter 21, covers six days of Jesus' ministry, that last week. John's reason for writing this gospel can be found near the end. He says there in chapter 20, verse 31, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so today, we're going to continue to talk about and learn what it means to be courageous and to be strong, especially in light of being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so first of all, here's what I want us to see. Jesus is looking for you just as much as you are hopefully looking for him. Now, I want that to register with you because I think sometimes we kind of forget that. You know, yes, we know that we were lost and, and he found us, uh, but somehow we think, I think, that that's where the looking for us ended. Doesn't. He continues to come to us. He continues to come at at, towards us in, in, in our direction. He continues to work. He continues to move. He continues to change us and transform us. And hopefully we are continually looking for him through our entire life and our walk with him. So Jesus is looking for you just as much as hopefully you're looking for him. Now, I may have in years past shared this story, but for those of you who haven't been around, this will be new for you, okay? But with our memories being as good as they are, you probably forgot it already anyway, right? Years ago, back in the 80s, pastoring a church in Southern California, we, we had you know, a tr the ministry and we had a, a boys group that was kind of like a Christian version of the Boy Scouts, okay? It was called Royal Rangers. And so every year there was a backpacking trip and we would take like you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old boys on a week's backpacking trip. And this particular year, we had gone into Northern California on the backside of Yosemite in an in a area called Lassen National Volcanic uh, Park. We got in for a week, and as we were walking out after being up in there for that week, we had kind of got spread out on this dirt trail. I couldn't see anybody in front of me, and they couldn't see me, those who were behind me. I'm kind of in the middle, and, you know, this, it's starting to get dark. The sun's going down, and, and I had missed the little dirt trail that I needed to make a left on to go to where we had left the church van and where we were going to camp that night. I missed it, and there I am, and sooner or later I realized I had no idea where I was. I was lost. As much as I hate to admit it, I got lost. <laughs> and so I had had hunter safety training, right? And they tell you, when you get lost, don't ever go back up the mountain. You want to walk out. So I commenced to walking out. Had no idea where it was. And I'm following this little dirt trail, and it finally come around to like a dirt road. So I get on it, and I walk a little bit, and... As God would have it, I come to a T in the road. <laughs> do I go that way? Do I go this way? I, I, Lord, I have no idea. Because one's going to probably take me in the wrong direction, one hopefully in the right direction. 
And I, I just quickly prayed, and I just felt like God said, go this way, and I did. And I walked probably no more than 100 yards, and here's a sign that let me know where I was. I knew exactly where I was at that point. And this is what I knew, that Rick Roberts, the other adult who was doing this, this backpacking trip with me, would become looking for me. <laughs> and sure enough, I hadn't been there 10 minutes. And here comes that church van. <laughs> now, the sun's gone down. It's dark. So there's lights, you know, and, and there's nobody else out there except us. And, I, and, I, and it's that church van. And, and I knew that they would come looking for me. And you guys, I can't remember ever being so excited about seeing a bunch of 10, 11, 12-year-olds. <laughs> I had been found. It was a great feeling. And I want that to come across to you in light of Jesus looking for you on a daily basis. Amen. Think of it like that as we work through this today. You'll often hear people say things like, I found God, I found Jesus, as if he was the one lost, right? <laughs> he wasn't hiding anywhere. He you know, hoping to be found by you. That's not the way it is. God is not off in the distance waiting for you to find him. He's looking for you. And you could say that he is moving in your direction. He did, after all, leave heaven, right? To come to us. Now let's pick it up at verse 35 and let's read a few verses. The next day, John, now this John here is referring to John the Baptist, okay? Was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, and this is for the second time, he said it in verse 29, the day before, and he's saying it again the next day, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So what's Jesus doing here? He is moving in their direction. They had heard what John had said about him, and it sparked some interest. Could it be? Is this the one the prophets have been writing about? Is this the promised Messiah? Is this the one? It sparked their interest, so they began following behind him, somewhat at a safe distance, maybe even trying to be inconspicuous, watching him, wondering about him. And he turned around, he knows they're back there, and said, in effect, what are you after? What are you looking for? Is what he is really saying when they ask, where are you staying? They're saying, we want to know because we want to come hang out, spend some time together. Jesus asked them a question that he often asked people. We see it in Mark chapter 10. When Jesus spoke to the blind beggar, he asked him, what is it that you want me to do for you? He asked that question. That's the question that God asked all of us. What do you want? What do you want from life? What do you want from me? What is it that you're looking for? How do you answer that question today, church? 
What is it that you're looking for? What are you looking for? These two men who have been following John the Baptist, but currently Jesus from a distance, didn't answer his question directly. They answered it indirectly. They said, Rabbi, meaning teacher, where are you? Where you stand? In response to his question, what do you want? They were saying, we think we want to know more about you. Oh, how I pray that's your heart's desire. Every single day of your life, just want to know more about you, Jesus, so that I can be more like you, Jesus. What does Jesus say? Look at verse 39. <laughs> Come, he replied, and you will see. I love it. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So basically it's saying they spent the evening with Jesus. Come and you will see. Do you know what I love about this? They had in that moment no idea. Think about it, church. They had in that moment no idea of what their eyes and what their hearts would be opened up to see for the rest of their days. How about you? Being a follower of Jesus has not changed since John chapter 1. This is still how it works. When we move in his direction, we find that he has already been moving in our direction. He invites us to know him and even to spend the day, to spend the year, to spend forever with him. To come and see. What it's like to be a friend of Jesus. And so we come and we see, and in the process, we learn who we can be in Jesus. It's part of what he wants us to come and see. Not only all about who he is and who he's wanting to be in us, but who he wants us to become. This is huge. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. So we just were told right there who one of the two guys is. It's Andrew, Peter's brother. We're never told who the second person is, but it is believed that it is actually the Apostle John, okay, who is the one who has written this, this book He's probably the other, the other guy who's part of that duel who had been following John the Baptist around and now are following Jesus. Andrew goes and gets his brother. And we know all about Peter, don't we? His exploits, you could say, are well-documented. He had a thing for saying and doing the wrong thing, didn't he? he? He had a problem with something we might call foot-in-mouth disease. That was Peter. And, of course, we know all about the denial, don't we? But did you notice what Jesus did not say? Hey there, 
You are Simon, and I want you to know what you are going to do. You're going to be messing up a lot. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those two who heard about Jesus and decided to follow Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to go find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And then Jesus, looking into the eyes of Peter, said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Jesus doesn't say, You're Simon, and you're going to mess up a lot. And you're going to suffer a lot with putting your foot in your mouth. Every time you say something smart, you're going to follow it up with something dumb. You're going to take a couple of steps on the water, and then you're going to get full of yourself and begin to sink. You're going to be at times petty and argumentative, and even you're going to be violent. And worst of all, when things really get tough, you're going to become a coward. So I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to call you Simon the Unfaithful Coward. But that isn't what we read, is it? Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Here's the deal. We like to rationalize our harsh statements towards one another with, but it's true. <laughs> isn't that what we do? If Jesus had done that, it had been true. But instead, he says in verse 42, but you will be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter, Cephas being Aramaic, Peter being Greek. They both have the same meaning, which is what? Rock. Jesus didn't give him the name Simon Peter because the two words sounded good together. In the Bible, People are given names that mean something. For example, Jacob means conniver. But God changed his name to Israel, which means he who prevails with God. Abram means exalted father, and God changed his name to Abraham, father of a multitude. Both of these name changes defined who these men would become. At this moment, Jesus is defining Peter. He's saying, you're not Simon the fisherman, son of John. No, you're a rock. And can't you just picture Peter? He'd be, he's doing what I would have been doing. He's like, <laughs> Talking to me? About me? John says simply that Jesus looked at Simon. Now that term that John is using here, this Greek word is a little stronger than just looking. The word means to look with concentration, with intensity. It's an intense focus. It's Jesus kind of like if we could understand it this way with x-ray eyes looking into and through Peter. And he says, this is what I see. This is who you are. You are a rock. And he was right. We know now, don't we? 
Peter was a great leader in the early church. He preached and thousands got saved. He prayed and many were healed. He courageously faced opposition, endured suffering, was strong, and ultimately gave his life for the gospel. He became a rock-solid man of God. And I want you to see that Jesus believed in Simon's potential long before Simon had done anything. There was no track record, church. He saw the man Peter would become long before Peter even got close to becoming that man. Jesus is choosing Peter, and at the same time, Peter is choosing Jesus. Jesus is looking for and coming towards Peter. Peter looking for and coming towards the Messiah. I believe it's interesting to know what Peter would write some years later in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Are you hearing that? That's describing you. A holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices, beginning with our own lives, acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Peter did, of course, deny Jesus. But he went on from there, didn't he? To become a man who would be mighty in ministry, a man who was totally restored because he understood that Jesus died for his sins, for his betrayal, for his rebellion. You see, what's interesting is the very same evening that Peter openly denied Jesus, another disciple, Judas, secretly betrayed him on the same evening. Both men failed Jesus that same night. One ended up, as you know, hanging himself, and the other continued on serving him and becoming the man Jesus said that he would be. What was the difference? They both chose a tree. Judas chose a tree from which to hang himself. Peter chose a tree upon which to look. And there is great power in seeing and looking upon the cross of Jesus. Amen. It's interesting that Peter would use this metaphor, living stones, isn't it? Since Jesus had earlier said to him, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church in Matthew 16. Jesus sees you. So much for Peter. Let's talk about you and me. Jesus sees you according to your potential. He doesn't judge you based on only on who you are today or only on what you've done recently or in the past. He knows the person that you can be. And he will call you by that name and lead you 
by that name. I like that we sang that this morning. I will rise when he calls my name. I will rise on the wings of eagles. And I love this. The rising begins with bowing before him. <laughs> Woo. That's powerful. Here's the deal, church. This is not based on age <laughs> or how long you've been walking with Jesus. None of that. Remember, like we said in the beginning, he is always coming in your direction, always looking for you, always willing to impart more of him to you, always willing to grow you and mature you, and teach you, and use you that you might be an instrument of his. Serving him, serving others, making an impact, and enlarging the kingdom of God. Now, based on age, we mentioned last week that Moses was just getting started with God at 80. <laughs> Joshua was 80 when he was just getting started to take the people into the promised land. Uh, Maybe a little bit kiddingly, I'm going to say, I can hardly wait. <laughs> Had a conversation a few a little while back with a pastor who's continuing to pastor a church. He just turned 80, and he said, Dave, it's just a number. Doesn't matter how old you are. You're just getting started. Can you accept that for your life? Please do. When you read the Bible and you hear God saying things like, you can be holy. You can be like Jesus. You are more than a conqueror. You can live with power over sin. You can live above your problems. You can accomplish great things. These are things that God speaks to his people. And he is speaking them to you today. Would you please dare to listen? Dare to believe. Dare to that Understanding that isn't that voice and that direction and that instruction, that admonition, that encouragement, that exhortation coming from the Spirit of God isn't for someone else. It's for you. Uh, glory. Yes. Every single one of you, Thank you. myself included. Yes. There's something else I want you to see. Jesus, as I've been saying, is just getting started with you. <laughs> just as he does with all. Verse 43. Got to find it in my Bible here. There it is. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. In other words, come and see. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Finding Philip, he says to him, follow me. And like I said, in other words, you know what? Come and you will see. I like that John specifically uses the word here, finding. Again, we are encouraged to see that Jesus coming in their direction. Jesus went to Galilee and found Philip, and then he invited him to follow him. So what does Philip do? We'll look at verse 45. Philip 
went out and found somebody else. <laughs> he found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? <laughs> Nathaniel asked. And then look what Philip says. Come and see. You got to love it. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That'd be like folks up in Ballament saying, can anything good come out of Parachute? Or folks in Parachute saying, can anything good come out of Beck? <laughs> kind of, we're like that, aren't we? Nathaniel kind of expresses that. How can this be that one when he's coming out of Nazareth? <laughs> For Nathaniel, it wasn't jiving. It wasn't making sense. And so just like he recognized Nathaniel, Jesus knows you inside out. Philip says, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel, I'm at verse 47, approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Then Nathanael declared, he just got over his, can anything good come from Nazareth? <laughs> Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He knows your strengths. He knows your doubts. He knows your fears. He knows your thoughts. And he knows your motives. He knows where you were yesterday. And he knows where you're going tomorrow. He knows all about you. And he loves you anyway. <laughs> and he wants to be your friend. Who happens to be, mind you, the king of kings. <laughs> And the Lord of Lords. And he wants to reach out and work in you. And he wants to work and reach through you. Reading on verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Playing on that whole idea of come and you will see. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, we might be wondering, how did Jesus get from the fig tree to here, which he's actually making reference to Genesis chapter 28? Scholars suggest that not only was the fig tree sort of like the, the national tree of Israel, it, it, it was prominent tree in Israel, and it was known for a place to go spend time in meditation or in prayer or with the scrolls and studying scripture or, if nothing else, to take a nap. It's a very leafy tree, provides good shade. It is also Jesus, it is believed, telling Nathaniel, not only did I see you, not only do I know you under that tree, but I even can tell you what you were reading while you were there. Yeah. 
Genesis 28. In Genesis 28, you'll find the story of Jacob having a dream. He sees heaven open and he sees a stairway coming down and angels going back and forth on that stairway. This is Jacob the conniver. This is Jacob who's been a man on the run. This is Jacob who just spent 20 years being deceived himself by his uncle Laban working for a woman (laughs) to be his wife. Which is why it is believed that Jesus said up here in verse 48, um, Jesus said in verse 50, you believe because I told you. But earlier he talked about him being here as an Israelite with no deceit, no guile. Because he'd been reading about Jacob the deceiver. And Jesus is letting him know that if you come and see, oh, how you're going to see. And that would be exactly the case. It's kind of like Jesus saying to Nathaniel, as he would be saying to you and I, you guys and gals in faith, you haven't seen anything yet. Wow. I'm just getting started with you. Please, please accept that as words from the Spirit of God to your hearts, just getting started. It would be like Jesus saying to you, I don't, I don't care how long you've been working at this. I don't care how long you've had it in neutral. I don't care how long you've been spinning wheels. I'm just getting started. Will you let me? Will you trust me with your life? Wherever you are in your relationship with God, it's never over. Here's good news. He's not done with you. Yeah. He's still working on you. Still working on me. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to let him. How about you saying the same for yourself? Jesus is looking for you so that you can enjoy a relationship with him. And he's looking within you. Because he sees the person that you can become. Not just the person you are or the person that you used to be. And he's looking ahead of you because he has a strategic purpose for your life. It is said that when you see the invisible, you can do the impossible. That all comes within the territory of come and see Jesus. Getting our eyes off of us and onto him. Amen. So Jesus says, come and see. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. And we are so thankful for your grace and your mercy and your love how they are forever extended to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who left the splendor and glory of heaven to come to us, to come towards us, to come looking for us. And that looking has never ended. It has not ceased. May our desire for you, Lord, increase 
May our desire for this world decrease. May our love for you, our hunger for you, our thirst for you be on the rise. <laughs> and when you call our name, that, that name that you see us as, that name that marks and represents the potential you see in us, the man or the woman you have called us to become. May we in faith rise and follow you faithfully, obediently, completely, giving our all because you have given your all for us. May this be so. This is my prayer for all of us, myself included, for the rest of our days. And we will come and we will see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.